0: This episode of Tales from the Backlog is supported by listeners like you. Some very cool people like Chris Nelson, the Top 3 Podcast Crew, Zulgeek, Colby Moyer, Eric Guess, Rick Firestone, Jill, Kieran, ZNA, Gilmer, Mikey Tabletop, Cupcake, Kyle and many more have all gone to patreon.com slash real jackson to kick me a few bucks and support what goes on on the show i appreciate all of you very much and you listener can be just like them if you head to patreon.com slash real dave jackson you will be my hero too all right on to the show Hey, everybody, my name is Dave Jackson, and you're listening to Tales from the Backlog, a video games review podcast where each week I'm usually joined by a guest to talk about a game we played. But today I'm joined by three wonderful guests to talk about emergent gameplay. We're going to have a roundtable discussion on this break from the backlog. So, first things first, let's introduce these guests. First up, returning a guest on the show, Moonborn, welcome back.
1: Hello there, happy to be back.
0: Yeah, good to have you back. Uh, longtime listeners may recognize Moon from Death's Gambit, early early days on the show, and the Bloodborne episode, uh, which uh, has become one of the more popular ones on the show. So Moonborne's back. Good to have you back, Moon. Joining us uh, for the first time today is Alex from Please Don't Cast. Welcome, Alex. Hello. Happy to be here. Yeah. Good to talk to you, dude. Yeah, Absolutely. And we're also joined by Nave from Gaming Together, returning to the show.
2: Howdy, 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 howdy.
0: <laughs> good to have you back, Nave. And uh, again, longtime listeners may remember Nave from the episode about Unsighted that we did, which was a good time. So today we're going to be talking about emergent gameplay, like I said. But before we get into that... All three of my guests do wonderful stuff across the internet in content land, so I'm going to give everybody a chance just to explain where people may know them. So, Moon, starting with you, um, last time you were on the show, I think you were starting to dabble in YouTube a little bit. That was a little while ago now. So you've got some, um, some actual like good content going up now, so let everyone know. Well, thank you,
1: Dave. Um, yeah, I have a dived, divin, dove, whatever the past <laughs> tense is. Duck pretty dodged. fully yeah pretty, pretty <laughs> fully into youtube over the past year and i've kind of settled into a niche where i make uh long plays of hard action games played on their highest difficulty from start to finish with no edits with the idea being that if my bumbling ass can get through these games then anyone watching can too <laughs> so you know if you want like if you want like some kind of like confidence booster to play hard games, or if you just want kind of like a service to see what a game is like at its absolute top tier setting, then, you know, I think my channel, which is Stylish Moonborn, you can find that at at SSS underscore Moonborn. Moonborn has an E at the end. And, you know, you can find my content there.
0: Yeah. And uh, just give people an idea. What kind of games uh, have you done those long plays about?
1: Uh, It's mostly uh, stylish action games, Uh, you know, things like Bayonetta, but I've been branching out a little bit lately. I actually just put out a, uh, one for uh mama Dora of every under the moonlight, which is a fairly popular indie Metroidvania that actually does support some high level, you know, difficulty in play. There's a, uh, long play I just put out for that with flawless bosses on the hardest difficulty. And that was a, a bit of a bear to record, but I'm real happy with the results. So I love it. If you <laughs> checked it out.
0: Yeah. Uh, my hat goes off to you, dude. I couldn't get more than like 25 yeah, minutes wow. into that game. So, <laughs> well, it um, sounds
1: like you are the prime customer to watch that video yes, and have I your am, confidence I am, picked up.
0: I am the target <laughs> audience. Yeah. So, um, everyone who wants to, uh, to see some high level action game long plays can check out Moonborn's YouTube channel. Uh, next up, Alex, what is, please don't Whoa. cast.
3: Uh, this it's a podcast I've been doing with a couple of my friends for a few years now. Um, uh, essentially, we do a different topic every week, so it's uh, impossible to market to anyone because uh, one <laughs> week we're making chocolate mousse, the next week we're talking about a video game or watching a movie. <laughs> um, right? Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun, but uh, it's it's mostly for us, uh, of course. Uh, we'd be happy if anybody listened, but uh,
0: yeah. Fair enough. I mean, I like chocolate mousse. I like video games. Sounds good to me. Yeah. <laughs> um. And uh, last but not least, Nave, uh, you are returning. You've been on the show before. You're on my other show, Top 3. But Gaming Together uh, is a podcast I listen to all the time. So let my people know again what you guys do over there.
2: Uh, We like to play cooperative games and uh, just multiplayer in general and just talk crap about it. Um, We just recently (laughs) did a puzzle game that made us really want to jump through our TVs and kill each other because we are both very mean. <laughs> so but uh, we we just love uh having a chance to hang out and uh shoot shoot the shit and just the uh, party as much as we can and that's what we do over there
0: yeah I think that describes the vibe on gaming together uh pretty that well sounds fun shooting the shit partying chaos ensues in conversation <laughs> Philip tri- desperately tries to keep it on track it's very funny to me so uh, good it was stuff. horrible.
2: We had like a forty-minute conversation of on anime just randomly in the middle of our review. So I'm I'm sure the the company that gave us the review copies didn't appreciate that.
0: <laughs> oh no. Cool. So thank you guys all for joining me. Um, Everyone who's interested in those uh, podcast YouTube channel can check down in the show notes for links to all of those things uh, so that you don't have to try and remember names and social media handles and stuff. Got you covered. Uh, So again, thank you all for joining me. Let's get into talking about emergent gameplay. And first things first, I want to set up. So Webster's Dictionary defines emergent (laughs) gameplay. Uh, No, actually Wikipedia defines emergent gameplay as complex situations in video games that come from simple gameplay mechanics interacting, and they create unique and complex situations and solutions to problems. And if that is a bit too wordy, just imagine, I'm going to use Breath of the Wild as an example right here. Breath of the Wild is a game that's made of tons and tons of simple rules for the objects, the weather. All of that stuff. So there's a rule where if you have a metal weapon and it's storming outside, lightning will strike the metal weapon. And there's a rule where if an enemy doesn't have a weapon, it will try to pick the nearest one up. So if it's raining and you drop your metal weapon, the enemy will pick it up and probably get hit by lightning. And that is emergent gameplay. They often feel like solutions where you think that you're getting one over on the developers, like they didn't (laughs) plan for you to do that when... I feel like Nintendo probably knew this was going to happen and they're just cool with it. A lot of these games are built to let you express yourself in a lot of ways. Uh, So I don't know about you all, but I was thinking about this um, as I did some games for the podcast recently that like really emphasize emergent gameplay. Like I did two episodes about prey and prey moon crash. And this feels like the secret sauce to me that, really will put a game over the edge into like this, like very special zone. And all three of you wanted to come on this podcast and talk about it. So I assume you feel the same way, right?
3: (laughs) Yeah. I love the idea of being able to like, you're feeling like you're getting away with something. It's, it's one of the best feelings in games to be able to uh, sneak up to somewhere you're not supposed to, or uh, I see this thing. I really want to get on top of it. I'm going to stack up 30 boxes just to do it.
0: Uh (laughs) (laughs) Uh-huh.
2: It's great. I just like hanging out with the boys.
0: Yeah. Okay. Fair enough.
1: So, Nave's here, regardless of the topic. <laughs> um. I. I would see. I would add also to um how I feel about emerging gameplay on top of what uh, Dave already said was that I feel that there that the best emergent gameplay comes in games where the developers not only do they necessarily think of these things but also they were brave enough to kind of let the unknown happen to a degree. Mm-hmm. And that, you can kind of feel that feeling of trust in certain games. You can feel it in Breath of the Wild. You can feel it in games. I'm sure we're all going to talk about today. Yeah. And you know, just being able to like having a developer trust you enough to just let you just go ape shit. Like like trusting a yeah. gamer. Imagine trusting yeah. a gamer. That's they're what the not going to fail you. Back to the these checkpoint games are doing, and <laughs> right. that is bravery beyond what I can imagine personally.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, that not only are they. They're trusting you, and when you, and the best kinds is when you come up with something that like they clearly didn't want you to do that, but they don't care because that's that's the game that they made. And if you figured out something that's super creative, then cool, they're gonna let you do that. And the big example of this uh, is before we get into talking about like specific games and like kind of digging in a little bit, there's a, a famous story about the game Deus Ex, the original Deus Ex game, where. I'm glad you're bringing this up. <laughs> yeah, people people found out that you could throw mines on the walls and there was a, a a collision issue with your your character and the mines where you could stick a mine on the wall and then jump on top of it. And then you could pick up another mine, stick it a little bit above you, jump on top of that, and you could that breaks the game wide open. You can climb over any wall you if can you slowly have two ladder yourself up. Yeah, exactly. And uh, there was an interview uh, with the director where he was like, yeah, we players started doing this and we were like, that's cool. We're, we're just going to let them do that. They didn't try and like, you know, well, this was, I, I don't know. Could you even patch games in the year 2000 or something like that? But the, the key thing was that they, they saw that and they were like, we did not think you could do that. And we didn't think people would find that. And we're totally cool with it. That's awesome
2: that kind of stuff goes hand in hand with like speedrunning communities one of my favorite things mm-hmm. on youtube is watching developers uh react to speed runs and like there's ones about portal and stuff like that and they're just like i have no idea how he shot through that wall i don't know what <laughs> he's doing why does he keep saving what is that now why is he jumping and he's going so fast i don't i don't get it and i'm just like <laughs> yeah this is good
0: <laughs> there's um there's a, a good series that I think IGN does actually, where they have game developers watch like world record speed runs and just be like, what the fuck? I had no idea that this was even possible in the game that I spent thousands of hours making. I thought I knew this game. Apparently I didn't. And it's yeah. really cool. So um, one other thing to note, and I this might come up a little bit, is that there's, I think it's like a kind of sub area or like at least brother and sister type relationship between emergent gameplay and emergent narrative where instead of gameplay mechanics it's kind of narrative building mechanics storytelling rules work together to create narrative content that the like the things that happen might be planned and programmed but the order that they happen the way that they interact with each other can feel totally random and unique to what you're doing. So stuff like Dwarf Fortress, which I want to try, or Crusader Kings, which I also want to try, because <laughs> the stories people tell about the shit that happens in those games is wild.
3: Yeah, I've only dabbled in Crusader Kings, but it is incredibly funny to romance the Pope and then have five Ill- illegitimate children with him. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh,
0: and if, I mean, if, if that's not what you want out of video games, what are we even doing here? <laughs> So we've all brought a couple of games uh, to this episode that kind of showcase emergent gameplay and how how this can create such memorable experiences and such uh, just awesome like moments where, you, again, you, f- you feel like you figured something out that you weren't supposed to figure out or you solved a problem in a way that no one else is going to solve that problem. And like I said, this is like the secret sauce that kind of makes some games that well, I'll just use breath of the wild. I'll continue with that. Cause I'm playing it right now. It's going to be an episode of, uh, the podcast in a couple of months and I'm playing it right now and not to spoil my like full opinion on it, but I think it's a game that's like way better than the sum of its parts. Like the individual mechanic things in breath of the wild are mostly like fine or not great in my opinion, but the emergent gameplay that comes from all of these things interacting with each other makes breath of the wild. Like one of my favorite gaming experiences ever because of the creativity that it allows you to play. So have you all played breath of the wild? Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. So all three of you, are you with me here? Oh yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah.
3: You can do a lot of dumb shit with this game.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And it's, it's no more apparent than when you go on YouTube and like watch people who like have mastered all of this stuff and there you thought that you played the like you played the game for hundreds of hours right you thought you played the game knew everything that you could do no you didn't because people who are really good at Breath of the Wild are wildly creative with how they you know you use the stasis uh, um <laughs> shika slate thing you can uh combine that with other like weird like glitches or uh, other interactions between weather and stuff like that to you know shoot yourself across the map uh the the speed running in breath of the wild uses all of these interactions it's crazy
3: yeah being able to like uh i'll use stasis on this rock and i'll hit it a million times so it's going to go really fast in this direction okay what if i climb on the rock and then do it (laughs) and it's like oh that's easy that's like a that's like a two hundred one level thing, and it works. The game lets you do it. Sometimes it'll kill you because of the way the physics system works, but sure. <laughs> uh, other times you'll go really far.
0: <laughs> yeah, and and that's just like one, you know, very brief example. I used the example of the lightning earlier, which is always funny um, yeah. if you can get that to to play out right. Um, but the the reason I actually wanted to do this topic was because I'm playing Breath of the Wild, and I think that the emergent gameplay lifts this game up well beyond like using stasis by itself, not super fun by itself. You're rarely just doing that, but like, it's fine using magnesis by itself. It's fine. The combat is it's fine. It's okay. Um, but when all of these things mix together and they do interact with each other, it's, it's awesome. And it's, it's really hard to top. So, uh, that's Breath of the Wild. Alex, what uh, what did you bring to the uh, emergent gameplay talk here?
3: All right. Uh, well, you touched on it a little bit earlier um, with that famous Deus Ex story. But this is uh, one of my favorite games ever, the original Deus Ex. It mm-hmm. uh, is a game that will say yes to any and all of your dumbest ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so uh, we talked about y- using the lambs, the landmines to climb up walls. Uh, an incredible thing that you can do that they let you do. Uh, Another one of my favorite things that you can do uh, early on in this game, and that applies throughout this game, um, doors generally, unless they're mission specific or whatever, uh, will have hit points and you can destroy them. So if you have Mm -hmm. a powerful enough weapon, instead of using four lockpicks to open the door, you could simply throw a grenade at it or shoot a rocket launcher at it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So an early game, you know, kind of power move is to pick the, the GEP gun, the rocket launcher as your starting weapon. Uh, and use it to open doors. <laughs> uh, and then kind of a like a knock-on effect of that, um, in the first level, there is a uh, like sunken tanker off the um, coast of Liberty Island. Uh, and there is a locked hatch that you have to swim underneath the water and then use a lockpick on to open up. Uh, if you uh, take a TNT crate, throw it in the water, and then shoot it, you'll blow that hatch right off and you can swim right in. That's awesome. <laughs> and Deus Ex has a like swimming skill. It is kind of a joke uh, in the community generally, but uh, if you have swimming leveled up, you could feasibly stay underwater long enough to lockpick that. But you just throw that TNT in there,
0: and you can swim right under. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's the stuff. And uh, that those examples are like some of many many examples in Deus Ex. I love that game too. The original yeah, it one. Rolls. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just because and its it's further seen i mentioned prey and prey moon crash earlier those are very similar in how if you think of a creative way to get past something i can't really recall a, a time where the game is like no you can't you can't do that it, it doesn't work like
3: i i feel like prey specifically kind of built in the like the classic story about climbing up walls with mines, because they give you a gun that just lets you make oh platforms. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> so, you know, another game might be like, um, well, I, it might be systems mixing too, but you know, what if Deus Ex was like, now nah, TNT doesn't work in the water. If you throw it in there, it's it's not supposed to be in the waters. so it's going to sink down to the bottom and out of the level or something like that. Yeah, you like can't that. blow it up. Yeah. Yeah. But <laughs> now Deus Ex is like, no, cool. You you thought to do that? Cool.
3: Sure. Uh, another thing that I love about Deus Ex and a lot of the immersive sims that would come later mm-hmm. um, is that uh, if you know the key code for something, like say you've played the game before uh, or you look up a game fact, uh, you can just enter the code and open the door. Uh, and they, they don't like, oh, you need to get the mission item. You know, you need to actually, your character has to find it. No, just type the code in.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and that um, that code 0451 is become synonymous with the genre. And I feel like if I play a game now and I come to the first safe or the first, you know, keypad or whatever, if I try that code, I'm I'm either going to get a trophy for it or a little Easter egg from the developers <laughs> or something like that. So you always got to give that a try. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, Deus Ex um, it was uh, was definitely one I was thinking of um, when I was uh, coming up with this too. So great, great call there. Uh, Moon, I know that you've played a game recently that is full of emergent gameplay. So enlighten us.
1: Oh, I, I wouldn't know how you know that, but um yeah. <laughs> so uh, I guess the first game I want to talk about is a game called Rain World. And just to give people a brief overview rain world is a kind of explored it's kind of a big 2d exploratory platformer it's kind of like a metroidvania but not quite where you know you play as a small creature trying to survive near the bottom of a food chain in a kind of industrial Mm post-apocalypse and the thing that makes the game so interesting is that when the developers made it they clearly the thing they care about more than anything else in the game is is creating these like kind of complex AI systems for all the creatures and like these kind of proc gen elements for like you know events that happen in the world and so on, and just kind of like letting them stretch as much as possible with like with like making as few like safeguards as possible to prevent like quote bad things from happening, mm-hmm. and the result is a game that can be extremely infuriating, extremely rewarding. It can feel (laughs) unfair as fuck. Like, you will have... But you will also have moments where you snap victory out of the jaws of defeat at the last moment and where you snatch defeat out of the jaws of victory. You know, little little, 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 of each. And it's just kind of fascinating because, like, there is... I don't think there is a single... Because that game is full of, like... Again, like, you know, it's full of really simple systems. Like, for... Like, you know, platforming and the way items interact and the way creatures... Well, well, okay, I, I was about to say the way the creatures interact with you is, is simple, but that's not true. The AI is designed <laughs> to, like, kind of, like, have, like, a life of its own in a way. But, like, I don't think there is a single, like, sole mechanic or element of that game that, despite how simple it is, can be described as, like, being, like, a one-trick pony. Everything has multiple uses like whether it's like your basic platforming or even like spears like you can use spears to defend yourself you can use spears to embed into walls and climb up to places you're not supposed to um of course like, like every game like this there was a uh, there was a very early kind of exploit discovered where you could like finish the game in something like half an hour it, it wouldn't be half an hour if you or i did it like, like I actually I actually did this route recently it took me six hours but there is a very quick route you can take where theoretically if you're good enough at the game you could beat the game in like half an hour and it's not all intentional because without getting into spoilers the way the game is designed like there's no like there's no real like hard hard direction of where you're supposed to go but you mm-hmm. are kind of like meant to sort of eventually go to one place to get the only piece of player progression that's in the game. And then kind of make your way to the ending. Whereas, like, there was kind of an exploit involving certain items and one of the last rooms in the game that allowed you to kind of, like, just break, basically circumvent, like, the rules of the game and actually get to the end immediately. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's just a wild game. Like, I don't want to turn this into the Rain World podcast, so I'm not going to, like, (laughs) get fully, I'm not going to get fully into, like, you know, what makes it so special, but... It's a game all about interactions where the developers were absolutely not afraid to just kind of, like, let the chips fall where they may. And right. they weren't even afraid to, like, turn people away. But some people turn away and say, this is bullshit. And rightfully so sometimes, because you will die sometimes for reasons that are absolute garbage. But, you know, it's kind of in service to all these crazy stories, interactions you can have into the world in the world with other creatures.
0: Yeah, so, like, I, I mean... We've talked about rain world, a bunch, um, other people in the discord server have played it and it it seems to me, like you said, that the developers just kind of set up these behaviors or these AI to control the creatures and just kind of been like, you know, this is a predator. This is how it's going to act. Sometimes it might act differently sometimes, and they just put it out there and just let, let it work. And it's, it seems to me like, like a, a simulation of some kind that you're controlling your character in. Right. And so all those interactions lead to everyone, you know, posting clips of, you know, things that happen to them that feel unique, uh, which seems very, very cool. It seems like a game. That's like, it's a different type of game that seems like it's built on emergent gameplay as opposed to a prey or a deus ex, you know?
1: Yeah. Just, and just to give you like one example of like the kind of like crazy things that can happen there mm-hmm. is one like very common enemy in the game. The most common enemy in the game, they're kind of these large lizards or salamanders or whatever. Whatever mm-hmm. they are, however big your little slug cat character is, like, these things are bigger than you, right? They're they're yeah. like, you know, roughly twice your size or whatever. They're predators, like, you know, what what one one touch, you, you get anywhere close to their mouths and it's over. Like, so you know, you every basically everything in this game kills you in one hit, essentially. Mm-hmm. And like those are the parodies. Those are the basic enemies. You can you go through the game and you are always either evading them or once you get brave and stupid enough like I am especially that last part, um you know, you you can start like actually like fighting them in some way and actually like, you know, killing them if you're clever enough and know the systems and have your resources in order. But mm-hmm. there is like a scenario that I never ever heard of. Where apparently if you save a, a lizard from a larger predator, that lizard can become your friend. And like oh. <laughs> and, and not only can it like become your friend, like it'll follow you around, it'll protect you. Like, this line of the game makes literally no effort to tell you. And you have no reason to assume that would be the case, but mm-hmm. it totally happens. Like the AI of this lizard is complex enough that if it something tries to kill it and then you Save it. It's smart enough to realize that. Oh, hey, this is a buddy. This is a friend. I'm going to protect this small, this small, tasty-looking creature for a little <laughs> bit. Like, like there, there's even unique, unique, like because there's like whenever you rest, there's like you know unique artwork you see. There's even like unique artwork for the lizard sleeping with you when nice. Yeah, it's like and that's just one of like um like I just want to say one thing like that because like, there but there are so many multitudes upon multitudes of things that can happen in that game. That you know you never know about unless you got super lucky or you read about it. Basically,
0: oh yeah, that's a good uh, a good point to uh, to keep in mind when we're talking about this. I feel like a lot of these games that are built on emergent gameplay, when you get toward the end, you you really feel like you you know it. You know how to work with these systems that are working together. Like late game in Breath of the Wild, you've tried a bunch of tricks, you've learned a bunch of tricks. Immersive Sims, I mean. You you're a master of your toolkit in those games, so um, I, I think that that is uh, something to keep in mind. Uh, Nave, what um what do you got?
2: All right, well I'm gonna be honest right up front. Um, I came in here I was like emergent emergent gameplay. Yep, I know what that is. I'm pretty sure gonna not do any <laughs> research, gonna just wing it right at the end, right before we start recording. And then once you started talking about the differences between emergent narrative and emergent gameplay, I was like, oh no. <laughs> I have to do some research real quick because I don't know what the hell he's talking about. Well,
0: emergent narrative <laughs> also counts. I mean, that's it's like I said, that's, they're they're brother and sister.
2: Oh no, that's it's too late. I already one. called the audibles. I already changed my list okay. up. <laughs>
0: All right, let's <laughs> it's go. It's
2: way too late. Uh, well, the first one's going to be the same, and I'm going to take a uh, I'm going to take a side street. I'm going to walk away from video games for a moment, and I want to talk about tabletop. I want to talk about Magic: The Gathering. Specifically, mm-hmm. I want to talk about Commander elder dragon highlander four player multiplayer this kind of gameplay has so much shenanigans especially whenever you start incorporating older cards that were not designed to have four people in the single game that things just get so wonky and catawampus i'm telling you it's insanity (laughs) and i don't i don't know how much you guys know about uh card games but Magic the Gatherings, like it's a relatively simple game, relatively simple rules. This this one's the only one that didn't really change from my list because I was like, well, all this stuff it relates to Magic the Gathering as well, especially in Commander, because whenever you have four different board states seeing each other and com- and and interacting with each other in in specific ways, things get incredibly complex and 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 insane and. Mm-hmm. I had this in here for uh emergent narrative because there's so many different hilarious storylines that that uh go along with people, like so many war stories and things that you can tell so many times that you chaos warped a horrible thing and then they revealed off the top of their deck a way worse thing. And you're just like, <laughs> Well, I guess we lose harder. I'm sorry guys, I tried. You know what I mean? And it's like uh but it it, it the uh gameplay itself, the the in the uh the cogs You start to see the matrix after a little while, after playing this game, because the way things interact, you need somebody around that deeply has intricate knowledge of exactly what the steps are, where the steps end, what happens, how the stack works. God, the stack, please, someone (laughs) kill me when that starts coming up. Uh, I absolutely love playing Commander. My Commander playing has greatly suffered because uh, of how deeply I fell in love with podcasting. So I just needed to take a moment and just to gush about how much I love this format.
0: Right on. Oh yeah. I, I, has, have uh, any of you played magic? I've never played. Nope. Never once.
1: <laughs> Maybe once. I remember literally nothing about it. It was such a very long time ago. Gotcha. I love All to right. hear about well, it
0: though. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess we uh, call the podcast now. It's over.
2: Um, <laughs> I messed no. up. I'm sorry. No.
0: <laughs> um, the uh, the thing that like I, I realized as I was getting ready for this episode is that I play a shitload of video games, but I don't play tabletop games. And I, I like card video games, but I don't play card games <laughs> in the physical world. So this is a really common thing in tabletop and card games, though, too, emergent gameplay, because you have a hard set of rules. You can, especially in tabletop games, you can use the rules to create whatever type of creative solutions you want to try as long as as long as it flies i guess i'm going out of my comfort zone here but you guys like have played tabletop too you can kind of back me up on this
2: absolutely nobody plays monopoly or uno correctly like (laughs) absolutely nobody you know how many Uh, videos i've seen online of someone playing a, a draw like a draw four that and then going red but they have red cards in their hand you're supposed to call them out on that if you play a draw four (laughs) and you call a a color that you already have in your hand you're supposed to draw six or seven or something like ridiculous like that
1: (laughs)
3: that's a rule but we make our own rules. Yeah, when it comes to card and board games, I actually am the rules guy a little bit. <laughs> I, <Okay. laughs> I have played Monopoly by the rules.
2: <laughs> very
3: but hard. Yeah. You can come into some fun, fun stories, especially with more freeform tabletop games.
0: Yeah, I guess like I my tabletop experience is very limited, but I used to I used to play a bit of Fate. Um, and I just don't know enough about those games and I'm not a super creative person in those situations. So I'm very like, I'll follow the rules too. And like, I will do some, I will run up and kick that person because I have a skill that says I kick people, you know, stuff like that, <laughs> <laughs> but you can go super wild within those. So, um, good. I'm glad we got an example from the, like I said, the physical world. So that's good. Um, meet space. Yeah. Uh, Alex, I think you and I can kind of tag team a game I want to talk about, which is the the yeah, new absolutely. Hitman games. Yep. So the Hitman games, if you haven't played them, first of all, I have two episodes on uh, Hitman 1 and Hitman 2. It's like six hours of podcast. Um, <laughs> Great games. <laughs> because there's so many stories and unique ways that you killed your targets to talk about that me and my guest Scott on both episodes could not stop talking. So if you haven't played, those games are kind of like we've been talking about. You, It's a stealth game on its face, but it's not really a game where you're hiding in the shadows. You're hiding in plain sight using a bunch of gameplay systems, like the way disguises work and the way guards have roots and the way these levels are kind of like these clockwork puzzles more than like video game levels with static people (laughs) and stuff like that. And once you learn how all of those things work, it's the game is your oyster. You can do whatever the hell you want. The game pretty much permits you as long as you understand how things interact.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I, I love uh, that. A lot of the maps are like designated certain areas like, oh, you can be on the floor at at a party as anybody, but you can't be backstage at a party as anybody. So you got to find a disguise to, you know, you got to be the waiter or you got to be the security guy. Maybe that means you can go upstairs. All that stuff is systems driven and really free form.
2: Yeah. I'm the guy that uh, kills all the guards and then puts them all into puts them all naked into a bathroom and lures (laughs) all the other guards by the giant pile of bodies.
0: <laughs> There's something wrong with the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> Fix it. Um, the the uh, we talked about speed runs earlier. My mind immediately jumped to Hitman speed runs, which are fucking wild. If yeah. anyone has has uh, seen them, because these games are so systems driven that the speed runners don't often like Hitman Three. I guess they use a bit of glitching, but. The ones from Hitman 1 and 2 that I've seen don't use glitches per se. They are just masters of the systems. And they say, like, if you wait in the cutscene two seconds, the guard will move over here. And then you shoot this wall twice to get the guard's attention. This is all predictable behavior. And then you can, you know, just it, it gets crazy from there. And so you're watching this, and it's like this cold, precise sequence of actions. Uh, whereas a lot of speedruns are just like, you know, I, I like Dark Souls and stuff and those speed runs are just you run past everything you fight the boss, you get a glitch and then the game's over stuff like that. So
3: <laughs> um, that actually gets into one of my stories that I have for Hitman yeah. Um, I think this might be the Paris level or it might be a different level where they have like one of the targets is out kind of on the floor and the second target is up in like a secret meeting. Mm-hmm. Uh, this target is having like you know kind of an Illuminati style like secret auction uh, with only the like upper crust of people, um, you can, uh, I like did one of the kind of mission stories that they have where it's like, you know, kind of a guided way to get up to, um, you know, being where the target is. I was disguised as someone, uh, sitting in at the, uh, secret meeting Mm -hmm. and, uh, I, on my first run of this or on this particular run of this, I wasn't really sure how to get the target alone. Usually a lot of these will just give you like a perfect opportunity to push them off a ledge or something. Uh, This one, I'm like, okay, I'm in a room, but there's like at least 10 other people here. So what do I do to kill this lady? And I'm like, all right, I'll do this. I brought a coin with me and Mm -hmm. coins are great distractions in Hitman. You can basically throw them at a wall and everyone on earth will go and look and say, (laughs) what's that?
2: Not unlike real life. It's that video of uh, what is it, Lead the Weapon, where he's in the middle of the gunfight and then he bends down and picks up the quarter.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I decided to um, get up from my seat at the meeting, turn around, throw a coin at the wall, and then while everyone looked to the right, I went over to the left, shot the lady, and then just left the room. <laughs> <laughs> By the time they all picked up the coin and turned around, I was out
0: of there. Mm hmm. <laughs> It's a, That is a really simple example, but those are systems that the game has taught yeah. you, and it rewards your creativity of being like, you know what? I bet everyone in here would freak out if I threw a coin, and we'll just try that.
3: <laughs> yeah, just getting everyone to turn their attention for about a half second was enough yeah. to get away with murder.
0: <laughs> yeah, and the game is just constantly putting you in situations like, especially if you don't follow the mission stories that kind of Mm -hmm. set you up for easy kills. The game is constantly setting you up in situations where you need to problem solve using what you know about how people react to things and how objects work. Uh, You know, what happens if I throw this at a wall? Is it going to explode? Is it going to, you know, get people's attention? You're constantly making those decisions based on how things interact and it's super cool. The, uh, the one from Hitman that I thought of and I don't know, this might be like a thing that only Hitman, Hitman fans know or it's transcended it. I don't know. But the homing briefcase is an yeah. interaction. Oh, of baby. A, a couple of systems that are not, it's not supposed to work out this way, but because the systems and the, the people's behavior works out, it works. So there's a um, a target in the last dlc level in hitman 2 and when you throw things in hitman they kind of you lock aim and then you throw them you'll never miss basically uh even if the person starts walking you'll never miss well this person doesn't start walking he gets on a jet ski and starts (laughs) riding away so if you throw the briefcase before he's like you know full speed speeding away from you the briefcase will home in and chase him down as he <laughs> jet skis around. And it's very funny. Um one of the uh <laughs> another thing, they could have patched that out if they're like, oh we don't want you to do that. But they're like, no, fuck it. That's funny. We're keeping that.
3: Yeah, it's incredibly good. <laughs> it's it's an interesting thing because like from a gameplay design perspective, it's like, oh well, okay, if you decide you want to throw this at this guy it would feel bad if it randomly missed. So let's make it not miss. And then that's like just a a funny knock-on effect from that. And it rules.
0: Exactly. (laughs) You're playing as the world's, you know, best assassin. Why would you miss if you're throwing a screwdriver at somebody? He wouldn't miss,
3: so. (laughs) One other uh, quick point on Hitman. Um, The things... uh, So there are a lot of optional challenges in all these games because they want you to replay these levels over and over and over again and really get Mm -hmm. a feel for how... The systems interact. What the guard patterns are like. Where the targets like to go. Yeah. Um, one of one of the ultimate expressions of that are the um, they have suit only challenges where you can't disguise, which is real <laughs> sicko shit. I, I'm not too into that. Uh-huh. But um, they have sniper challenges where um, getting the specific targets into line of sight to snipe them is actually tricky, and you really need to know where their patrol routes are, or like kind of which levers to turn in the system to get people where you need them to be. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my favorite examples is in Hitman 2. Uh, there is a, uh, a Vermont suburb level called Whittleton Creek, mm-hmm. uh, and it's just kind of like a couple blocks of a neighborhood. Um, and there are two targets you have to kill. Um, if you do a certain setup of stuff, you can get both of them to meet up together. And it's like, oh, Yahtzee, I've got them in the same place. But I also need you, uh, for one of these challenges, completely optional, um, you have a challenge to snipe them both from a, a treehouse in the backyard. So it's like, well, now I have to figure out how to get these two near enough to each other where I can see them from this one specific spot. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's just a ton of, like, it's a lot of absolute nonsense you have to get to get that together, but it rolls.
0: Yeah, those, uh, those sniping challenges really do require you to know not only where people are going to be and where they're going to move to, but how they're going to react to anything you can do. Cause you, unlike the regular challenges, you can't just go choke them out and take their clothes. You have to yeah. like, it's <laughs> like, you know, if I shoot this wall, where are they going to go after that? And you can manipulate people like that. Uh, so it's I like a, get,
3: yeah, yeah. <laughs> a real rube goldberg machine
0: of if i do this then maybe they'll do this <laughs> yeah and that's that's what hitman is baby i fucking love it yeah so um moon what uh what other game did you uh want to talk about for this
1: so uh the next thing i want to talk about is actually the uh neo series uh the uh team ninja souls like action rpgs uh mm-hmm. um you know for for those unfamiliar you know neo is kind of a it's kind of like Dark Souls, but it's also kind of like a character action game rolled into one. You know, it's by the people who made the reboot Ninja Gaiden games. So, you know, you can imagine the kind of over-the-top combat that comes with. But <laughs> because it's also an RPG, there are they, they treat their RPG systems as maximally as they do their action combat systems. So it is just systems upon systems upon systems. It's one of the yeah. kinds of games I affectionately call a kitchen sink game. Just in terms of Mm -hmm. how many systems there are, like if you want to juxtapose it with Dark Souls, (laughs) whereas like Dark Souls will have like a million different systems, but it'll hide all but a few of them from you. And you'll never know about 90% of them unless you look them up or whatever. Neo instead takes every single one of those systems, puts them on Front Street, briefly tutorializes you on all of them and says, "Okay, now have fun. Knock yourself out. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, you know, and of course, you know, the result of that is you can kind of do crazy things, both with your build and like the kind of like different things you can accomplish in combat. Now, one thing about the first Neo, I, I much prefer Neo 2, but one th- I do like the original Neo. But one thing about the first Neo that I uh, personally, you know, have an issue with is that the leveling curve is kind of wonky. So the way mm-hmm. it's set up is that even if you do all the missions play through everything if you're not grinding some of the older missions over and over and over again the leveling curve will absolutely outpace you in a pretty dramatic way Mm -hmm. and so i got to a point where i was in the second to last mission of the second to last of the the second to last mission of the last expansion right like there's like there's three dlcs and you know i was trying to play through it and i was doing this with a I forgot to write it down but I was doing it with a character that was maybe like sixty levels underleveled or something like that like I, like I was like like I was a level one hundred sixty five and I think you were supposed to be like level 200 something I don't remember what it was and you had to fight this boss this big old demonic bird like called Anmiraki and I was just unable to do it I like fought him for maybe like three hours I was getting things tanked I would get hit once and once or twice generously and it was just over I was doing barely any damage so I, I'm desperate because I'm like I am not going to like grind for 30 hours or whatever to get myself to where I need to be when I'm this close to the end of the game right mm-hmm. so so I'm furiously googling I'm looking for things that I can possibly do <laughs> every single strategy I find involves a build I don't have and that, to be fair, theoretically, if I wanted to quit the mission and then like rebuild my character, you know, with respect or whatever, I could have done it. But I didn't feel like doing that. So, you know, there are all these, okay, this requires a ninja build. I'm not going to do that. This requires uh, Omnio magic. I'm not going to do that. Finally, in my desperation, I find a Reddit post with like two comments. One of them is, has like a negative five karma and says something like, well, I just used Suzuku to, I just used Suzuku and that melted him really quickly. And naturally I was so desperate that at this point I see a heavily downvoted Reddit comment and I'm like, you are my only hope. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and, and, and to letting people, what Suzuku is, is that there is a system in Neo called a uh, guardian spirits and guardian spirits are kind of these like, you know, spirit animal spirit familiars that you equip. You start uh, only able to equip one, but eventually you can equip two at a time as you go on. And Suzuku is basically a phoenix. You know, for those unfamiliar aren't familiar with Japanese mythology, it's kind of like a phoenix. It's, you know, it's a firebird. And if you die when Suzuku is fully charged up, then you will automatically resurrect from the dead. And you Mm -hmm. will, you know, engage kind of a super mode, kind of like a – if you think of like a super mode, like Devil Trigger in Devil May Cry or like Rage rage Mode in God of War or whatever, it's basically one of those, right? Uh And so what the strategy involved was setting Suzuku up with a perk so that when you were in low health, your super meter would slowly recharge – And on top of that, the bird I was fighting on Meraki apparently takes tons and tons of fire damage from this bird when it's activated. So what I ended up doing was I equipped it. I went into the arena. I activated the, you know, Suzuku so I could, you know, do tons of damage with fire. But But at the level I was doing, I was doing tons of damage to him, but that only gets him to about just under half health, right? So that kind of sets me in a scenario where... You know, I can't do any more damage to him. So what I ended up doing was before I entered the fight, I would intentionally damage myself down to almost no health with another enemy. And then I would go in, I would use Suzuku, I would, you know, wreck like on Meraki down to like, I don't know, maybe like 30, 40% health with uh, one use. And then I would spend three and a half minutes running like mad just trying not to die <laughs> <laughs> with low health while my super meter is like slowly recharging like because you know that's you know that's how the system works uh there are other ways i could have used to recharge it but i was out so i couldn't do it that that's another system that you can engage with you can actually use little consumables to you can use the equivalent of dark souls hard soul consumables to quickly refill your gauge but i didn't have those and eventually i got it down and i beat the boss and there right. is no other way, like, with my build, how underleveled I was. Like, oh, well, that's not true. There were definitely other ways. Like, that, that would be a point against against the emergent gameplay, right? Like, there were definitely other ways, <laughs> but it was, like, the craziest, stupidest, and most min-maximalist thing I'd ever done in a video game, I think, <laughs> in 28 years of playing video games now. <laughs> All just because of the way these systems interacted. And play Neo if you don't want to play Neo play Neo 2 Neo 2 solves the issues I mentioned with it but really fun action RPGs if you're down for that
0: or if you don't want to play Neo 2 play Stranger of Paradise Yeah Oh
2: man don't get me started on Stranger
0: But uh, I don't
1: know I hear that one's just a little bit too chaotic Yeah it's a little bit too much chaos Not enough chaos
0: <laughs> Um when you when you said Neo or when I saw Neo in the notes I wondered like where, where are we going with this? But you're right. Neo has a million fucking mechanical systems in there. So yeah, there's a finding, lot on it. Yeah. Finding ways to uh, make them interact in your favor in ways that were not so predictable is very uh, easy to see now. So I, I you got me thinking about boss cheeses and like other than cheeses where you get the boss to like clip out of the room or something like that. I feel like those are all emergent in some way, you know? Yeah. Yep. Definitely. <laughs> Uh, you just brought back all these memories of me booting up Neo and having like just uh, hundreds of text boxes. Like, you got your stances, you got all your weapons, you got your <laughs> secondary weapons, you've got magic, you've got ninjutsu, you've got guardian spirits. And I'm like, oh, how do I jump? Like, let's <laughs> for sure. It down. Like-
2: I, I get so confused when systems get complex too fast And I just had the monkey with the symbols going on <laughs> yeah. I'm like, just give me the biggest stick I could bonk somebody with, please
1: What you want, my friend, is a spear in high stance And with a particular skill set So you could do light-heavy over and over and over again And perma-stun any human enemy You'll thank me later There you go Yeah
0: <laughs> Hell yeah The
2: humans are one of the ones I want to stun the most
0: Yep <laughs> So that is uh, Neo Nave what uh, what else did you bring?
2: Uh so I want to talk about Shadow of Mordor.
0: Yeah. Ooh. Um
2: this game got some very silly mechanics going on and uh what is the it's called the Nemesis system. Mm-hmm. That's probably yeah. the most emergent ass gameplay ass system that's ever existed in a video yeah. game, I think. It,
0: it's a system system built to create emergent stories
2: basically absolutely and the first couple of times that you experience this system working in full effect it's a it's usually magical especially if you've been gaming for like around as long as uh, i have where you it's just impossible to describe how how silly it is when you're in the middle of fighting somebody and you're in the middle of fighting like a horde of enemies and then suddenly a general shows up starts talking shit to you and then another (laughs) general shows up instantly kills him and then he's like hey how about like you don't kill me is that like cool if we just don't fight and you're like okay yeah sure you're my friend now and i'm gonna help you become the general it's like there's so many silly things that happen like or someone saves your life or like you get sniped by somebody when you're about to die and they become a general and they remember you whenever you see them next (laughs) or how about whenever you kill someone but they come back and they have like a metal face and they're like, you thought you killed me. Well, I've got some news for you, buddy. And then you guys get into another fight. It's so interesting and, and dynamic. And I, I don't know. I really love this. Uh, I really love this stuff.
3: I do like that they always cut a wrestling promo whenever they when If they if they remember yeah. you, they're like, I'll see you tomorrow night at Super Slam. Yeah.
2: Oh, yeah. It's all, and then you hear the glass breaking. <laughs> You and me, we're gonna meet at the foot of Mount Doom tomorrow night (laughs) because Stone Cold said so.
3: (laughs) Yeah, that's a great example.
0: Yeah, I haven't played that, but I've, I've just, I mean, it wasn't on my list because I haven't played it, so it didn't immediately come to mind. But as soon as I saw it in the notes, I was like, Yeah, that's that's like they designed, they basically designed a game for this. This is the point of that game
2: it's really fun it's it's so it's so fun like that just in itself would be a game without any of the story none of the lord of the rings shit. i have no idea what's going on in lord of the rings i know the the smeagol guy that guy shows up and he's your <laughs> yeah. like he's your buddy or maybe he's not i don't <laughs> remember but i man that whole the whole uh, nemesis system is insane i mean it's no wonder they decided to copyright it but that really sucks because that yeah. needs to be in more games
0: that is really shitty i forgot about that yeah that's right <laughs>
3: awful
0: What do you guys say we go lightning round through the rest of the uh, examples yeah. we brought through? Uh, brought, um, I we touched on Hitman. I talked about Breath of the Wild earlier. The other one that I brought is Red Dead Redemption 2, um, game that really just feels like a living world and living worlds have people that go and do stuff and they have trains that run on schedule and all of these things that are going on. And anytime any of those things intersect, interact with each other, it's memorable and funny. Uh, so Red Dead Redemption 2. Alex, what else did you bring?
3: Um, so I have uh, a little story about the game Dusk. This is a, um, an old nice. school, pe- people call them boomer shooters now, but a kind of quake-like retro revival FPS game. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't have a ton of systems. It's not a kind of game that you'd really think of when you think of this stuff. But um, there's like one interaction that I just love. Um, so there are buttons that you can press to interact with, you know, to open things and levels, you know, like buttons work in video games. Yes. Um, except in, in dusk, you can shoot them. It's like, oh, okay, cool. So like, you know, they build a couple levels around, oh, you can see the button, but you can't get to it. Oh, I'll shoot it. They teach you that. Mm -hmm. Um, there's a weapon called, there's a there's a crossbow weapon that fires like spectral arrows and these arrows can penetrate through enemies. They teach you that. Um, I don't remember if they explicitly teach you this, but it can also shoot through walls. Nice. So if you know a button is on the other side of a wall, you can shoot the crossbow through it to activate it. So um, some high level speedrun tech for this game is um, I have the crossbow. I know there's a button on the other side of the map. I'll just shoot it through all the way through the wall and get to the end of the <laughs> level.
0: <laughs> That's incredibly awesome. cool. Yeah. That reminds me of um, the crossbow in Prey, but it's, it's foam bolts oh yeah you can shoot buttons with
3: that too yeah that's a great idea yeah
0: yeah how how that weapon when you first pick it up seems totally useless because you're firing nerf darts at aliens but what you don't realize is that those things have a way to interact with touch screens and if you can't reach a computer screen you can shoot it with the crossbow it'll work just the same so good uh good pull yeah
3: yeah, if, if we have time for it, I have one more small Deus Ex thing I
0: forgot to mention. Oh, yeah, sure, of course.
3: <laughs> um, You can completely skip the entire first level of the game by throwing a smoke grenade at the side of Unaco headquarters. Um, uh-huh. And that works, be- or a gas grenade. That works because... Um, when enemies, uh, or even your allies, enter a panic state, they can open any door. There's no restriction on that at all. So okay. you throw you throw a gas grenade at the side of UNATCO, uh, it hits the receptionist, he gets scared and he runs out the door, which happens to be the, uh, the unopenable door where you need to go after you beat the mission. Oh, nice. <laughs> so you can just go right into UNATCO and you're done. And the game accounts for that. They let you, they think you beat the whole mission.
2: Nice. <laughs> It's like in Far Cry yeah. 4 where the at the very beginning of the game the main boss guy men is like hey you sit here and wait and I'll be back in like a couple minutes just don't move and he goes off to do horrible uh you know government dude things and if you sit there and wait the he comes back and he's like oh thanks you thanks for waiting uh, I'm going to get you in this helicopter and you're going to get the fuck out of here and uh, and then the credits roll
0: <laughs> oh that's awesome <laughs> um moon what else did you bring lightning round
1: all right uh real quick i uh brought hyrule warriors age of calamity which i feel is an interesting juxtaposition from breath of the wild since it's a dynasty warriors spinoff of that game right yeah and uh one thing about that game is that it's a little bit more focused on the single mini boss combat compared to older dynasty warriors and one thing it does is that it Brings in the rune system from Breath of the Wild. So like Magnesis, Stasis, etc. And mm-hmm. it kind of bakes those in as kind of these special abilities you can use. And specifically, you can use them as kind of like counters against mini bosses, almost like Sekiro in a way. Like where it's like, you know, oh, you see the Perilous attack and there's a symbol and you got to do a specific action. The runes in Age of Calamity are similar, except, you know, it's a... You'll see a symbol for a specific room, like Magnesis or Stasis, that the enemy is weak to in that special Mm -hmm. attack that you can use on them. However, one interesting wrinkle is that the character of Zelda in that game, she actually uses the Sheikah Slate as her main weapon. And the result is that her attacks are just this crazy flurry of rune attacks as kind of her basic... You know, light and heavy attacks that she can use, right? So, like, you know, mm-hmm. you'll do like X Y Y, and she'll do a certain combo of like stasis and bombs, or X Y X, and she'll do like stasis and bombs and, you know, so or and cry crynesis or whatever. And one mm-hmm. thing I was wondering when I was fighting a certain mini is, wait, do the rune attacks that show up as part of her regular attack strings, do those follow the same rules as the regular rune attacks? So, I mm-hmm. memorized when a certain um, rune comes out during her attack string. Uh, in this case, the mini boss is weak to bombs. So, I timed my attack string so that when the mini boss is going to use the attack that was weak to the bomb rune, the bomb rune from my regular attack string would hit them. And it totally reacts the exact same way as if you used a rune counter. And this is kind of important because not only does that stun the boss, but also it. Freeze me up an actual rune attack I can use during that, because normally they go Mm. on cooldown after you use them once. So I could stun him with the bombs, get a bunch of free attacks on him, then I can use stasis to freeze him for even longer, and then attack him even more before he gets his. And then by the time that's done, the cooldown is done again, and then I can use the bomb counter again because the first thing he does when he wakes up is use another attack that's weak to the bomb counter. So like I'm nice. tripling my my DPS potential just because of this really weird interaction they left in. So
0: hell yeah, I did not expect to have a Hyrule Warriors come up in the emergent gameplay yeah. discussion, but there here we are. <laughs> um, and uh, last but not least, Nave,
2: uh, I want to talk about Donkey Kong sixty four uh, because <laughs> All the right. DK rap really makes gameplay emerge. From uh. my pants, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> no, I want to talk about Left for Dead. Uh, okay. Left Ooh. for Dead 2 as well. Uh, that Speaking of games that were made for emergent uh, n- gameplay, emergent narrative, this game literally has a system built in called the Director, which... Uh, moves around enemy spawns way it moves around waves of enemies and moves around item spawns it changes where your characters respawn if they go down it, it changes everything about every single level which gives you almost infinite replayability even though the levels themselves don't change very much um, mm-hmm. so you get into some very specific and chaotic situations not even to mention if you play in the uh, 4v4 multiplayer where four people play infected uh, zombies and try to kill you um, this game is incredible and everybody knows about it, so I'm not saying anything anyone doesn't know. But I got so many stories about that.
0: Fair enough. I have not played, so I don't know about it. But oh, uh, again, good. Didn't I'm uh, pointing
2: a gun. I'm pointing a gun at David right now. Uh, you play that well, damn game. Do what you do what you
0: got to do, man. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So we we brought a bunch of stuff that we felt like kind of showcased emergent gameplay and how it can create memorable stories. And uh, just memorable experiences playing games in general, I also put the word out to the community to share some games that they felt like highlighted emergent gameplay. And I'll get us started with Randall, who's a patron of the show. Thank you, Randall., uh, Randall gave Dwarf Fortress and Rimworld as two examples. And I haven't played these, but I think they fall on the the narrative side of things because I always hear people talking about the crazy stories from Dwarf Fortress, the crazy stories from Rimworld. So, Randall shared a couple, and I'm going to share one of those. Uh, Randall says there's endless possibility for emergent narratives. So, there we go. Um, the story that Randall shared. I believe it's from RimWorld because he used the word colonists. But uh, one of my pyromaniac colonists locked themselves in my ammo supply closet, bad news, and proceeded to have a (laughs) a mental break, which is apparently things that can happen to your colonists, uh, lit the ammunition on fire. A few short moments later, the closet, the colonist, and most of my base were nothing but dust. And (laughs) (laughs) that sounds like a pretty typical story from uh, RimWorld or Dwarf Fortress or crusader kings or any of these games that you know set up things like this if any of you all have played these
2: are you sure that that isn't just a news story from my hometown because that sounds like something <laughs> that would happen
0: that's right you are from texas right
2: no oklahoma even oklahoma. worse, Oklahoma. oh okay. man that is is we're worse. poor texas
0: <laughs> so that was randall
2: yeah i'll read the next one if that's all
3: right yeah uh chris says uh doom which is an interesting... I, I would not think of Doom when I come to this, but they make a great point. Um, it, as an example, they say, the exploding barrels. They're not labeled as explosive, but if you shoot the right ones, they explode. Which is a great, great point.
0: Yeah, and I haven't played Doom. So, oh, I assume, man. What? oh, Actually, I don't know if they mean the original or the... the I was the, thinking the, the, the original. Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, I haven't played the original. I played the reboot, but... You know, finding out things that are not explicitly told to you and then using them to your advantage, that's emergent gameplay. Hell yeah. Uh, Chris is a patron of the show, so thank you, Chris. Uh, yep, also thanks, co-host Chris. of a novel console podcast.
2: I was just about to do that. I have like thing in the back <laughs> of my head whenever I realize someone hasn't been shouted out.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so, Moon, can you take the next
1: one? I have a feeling that it's it's serendipitous that you ended up with this one. Oh, how curious. Uh, soccer, who is also a patron, um, says rain world, perhaps moon can corroborate. Well, you might say I've done that. Wouldn't y'all say? <laughs> yeah, I, I would say you have. Yeah. Uh,
0: that was my note that perhaps you can corroborate. But, uh, <laughs> Cause I had a feeling you're going to bring Rainworld to the episode today. Uh, but on the off chance that you didn't. Uh, this was going to be your spot. But yeah. yeah, Rain World, a game built on
1: it. Yeah, I was. Um, yeah, I will say uh, soccer has been sharing uh, clips in the discord of their gameplay. And just yeah. like I promised, everyone that I see has me equally using the raffle emoji and the sob emoji in tandem. I I feel <laughs> you, brother. Also, I, I'm glad you seem to be enjoying the game. Like it is. A, yeah, I'm really ha- I'm really happy to see other people discover this game because it was It was kind of unfairly maligned on release, and you know it's, it's been kind of slowly picking up a more positive reputation over the years. But it's always it always makes me happy to see someone else get into it because it's a, it's such a beautiful, gorgeous experience. I've called it religious experience before, and I stand by that.
0: Hell yeah,
2: hell yeah, indeed. Uh, This is serendipitous that I got this one because I happen to be the third co-host of Super Podcast Saga. This is from Aaron. And he's talking about Atrian Odyssey. It says emergent gameplay in a turn-based RPG. In Atrian Odyssey 5, the shaman can use an ability to bless all allies with resistance and a certain el- to a certain element and simultaneously bless their weapons with that same element. The fencer has the ability to chain attacks, meaning he will automatically perform a melee attack after an ally uses an attack of a certain element. And with each chain attack he performs, these chain attacks become stronger and stronger. So you could perform a fire blessing on everyone, have one character do a melee attack, Fencer chains that into a fire attack, then your warlock casts a fire spell, fencer performs another chain, but stronger, and so forth until the fencer's turn again. It's the fencer's turn again. I feel like I just read a spell.
0: <laughs> you Dude, summon, summon something. something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> um This was cool. I love to see this because when I thought of emergent gameplay, turn-based JRPGs were the last genre that would have come to my mind. But some of them, like Etrian Odyssey apparently, are super systems heavy. So if you figure out how to crack it, then you end up with stuff like this.
3: Yeah, that's a great point. I Thinking of stuff like doing shenanigans with calculators and Final Fantasy Tactics, just like yeah. uh, abusing the system to the like biggest extreme possible is great.
0: Yeah, <laughs> the, the one that came to my mind was um, the kind of, unin- I think it's unintended, but the interaction between using Vanish and then Doom in Final Fantasy VI to basically kill anything. Yeah. (laughs) uh, Which feels like it's not the way it's supposed to work, but turned out to be one of the best strategies in the game. So (laughs) thank you, Aaron. Uh, The last bit of um, listener correspondence that we got to steal a phrase from Kane and Rince because my brain just went empty there uh, is from the Retrospectives podcast. Uh, And they wrote in about Pathologic 2, which... They say the survival systems of hunger, exhaustion, infection, and thirst, along with your limited time, combined with randomized inventories for trading and looting and different infected and burnt out districts, all of these like things that you're juggling all the time or constantly adapting to, apparently, uh, create a constant dynamic reevaluation of what you need to prioritize. So. It that's it sounds like a game that you are never comfortable with what's going on
3: at all. Yeah, I love Pathologic too. It is it is a great example for this because it's uh, you are constantly constantly having to like act on your feet, and that often means uh, just doing anything you can <laughs> to eke <eat laughs> by. And that is definitely in the spirit of this. That's a great yeah, point.
0: That's awesome. That's that's one of those games that I. I keep telling myself the beginning of every year, I t- this is the year I play Pathologic and it didn't happen last year. We'll see about this year. <laughs> so thank you to uh, the Retrospectives podcast. I'm not sure which one of you wrote that in, but thank you. And that is all of our community submissions. So thank you all who wrote in. Um, we appreciate that. We love to see that you all value emergent gameplay and have like these you know, stories and specific examples Of things that have happened. So thanks everyone for writing in. And the last thing to do is to kind of do some housekeeping here at the end. And we start this out by just everybody starting with moon, let people know, um, again, what you're doing out there on the internet. And then keep in mind that down in the show notes, there will be links to all your stuff.
1: All right. As mentioned at the top of the show, you can find me on YouTube at um, SSS underscore Moonborn with an E at the end. You can also where you can find all my long play content and other gaming content. Uh, you can also find me at on Twitter at the exact same handle at SSS underscore moonborn with an E at the end where I do sometimes post some miscellaneous cool gaming clips that don't make it to YouTube. So maybe follow me there as well. Um, I promise mm-hmm. I'll be nice when I feel like it. <laughs>
0: Awesome. And, um, yeah, if I have people want to hear more of moon, like I said, moon was on a couple episodes of the show in the past talking about death's gambit, which is a a game that continues to be overlooked. I think everyone should go play and, uh, bloodborne a game that is not overlooked, but I think everyone should go play.
3: (laughs) I agree
1: with
0: both. Uh, yeah, Alex, how about you?
3: All right. Um, yeah, so like I said at the top of the show, I do a podcast with my friends. Um, we shorten it to Please Don't Cast, but the long, long ass uh, name is Please Don't Listen to This, Your Life Depends on It, uh, which <laughs> is great for pitching the show. But um, yeah, yes. we mostly do it for fun. We cover a different topic every week. Um, we've done all kinds of stuff. We've done plenty of video games. We did uh, Disco Elysium. We've done Death Stranding. We've done a lot of popular games, um, but we do all kinds of other stuff, too, Um Recently, we talked about uh, Plato's Allegory of the Cave. Uh, We had a beach day. We made our own websites. Um, We played disc golf. Uh, We do a ton of weird, random stuff, Um, mostly just my friends and I hanging out, talking about the thing we did that week. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're always open for suggestions. Um, Scroll through our feed. We've been doing it a couple of years, so uh, we're bound to have done something you like or don't like, Uh, so have a look. Oh, yeah.
2: I suggest that you get me on your show.
3: <laughs> Send us an email. We are desperate. Yeah. I don't even know
0: how to use an email. <laughs> Nave may not know how to use email, but Nave knows how to use a microphone and a podcast hosting app. So let people know, Nave, once again, what's Gaming Together.
2: <laughs> you give me a lot of credit. It's actually Philip that helps me set all this stuff up.
0: Okay, uh, right, fair enough.
2: <laughs> Philip and me, we run Gaming Together, a cooperative podcast. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Game together Pod because gaming together pod is too long and gaming together was taken. Mm-hmm. Um, we talk about gaming. Uh, we talk about cooperative games. You can find us on Instagram where we post memes. Usually you see our thumbnails a little bit early, which I put a lot of love and care into. Please mm-hmm. go and give my, my, uh, my thumbnails a like, And uh, <laughs> we just joke around on our show.
0: Yeah. It's a good time. I I really enjoy listening. So again, uh, a a plug for everyone to check out Moonborn's YouTube channel. Check out Please Don't Cast. I already forgot the real long name. of (laughs) Please don't listen to this.
3: Your life depends on it. Please don't listen to this. Your life depends on it. It sounds like a modern anime name. It's (laughs) P-D-Y-L-T-T-Y-L-D-O-I. That really rolls rolls off the tongue. Yeah.
0: (laughs) And uh, to check out Gaming Together. All good stuff. So um, for me, Uh, I would love it if you out there joined our Discord server. We have a great group of people in there chatting about video games, uh, mostly video game stuff, but, you know, talking about movies, talking about TV shows. Uh, The Last of Us is going on at the time of recording. By the time you hear this, it's probably over. But (laughs) come talk about The Last of Us if you want to. Talk about what you're playing. Talk about the show. Uh, We have a good time. We'd love to have you. Uh, Other ways to support are ways that you can support all podcasts and YouTube channels and stuff like that. It's just by hitting subscribe and telling a friend that you found something that you like and chasing after them as they run away from you for suggesting something to them. And, uh, leaving a rating and review is particularly helpful. And if you would like to support monetarily, there is a Patreon page for this show and my other show, which is a top three podcast where like, please don't cast, uh, we do top three lists every week about random topics, uh, random stuff, right? Ooh, we're we're getting into our draft, uh, arc on the show. So top threes are taking a break and now we're drafting stuff. So oh, I love that's, a draft. That sounds that's fun. Been fun. Yeah. <laughs> We're having a good time with that. I think that shows a good time. So please check that out if that sounds cool to you. So yeah, that is the end. Thank you, Moonborn. Thank you, Alex. And thank
1: you, Nave. Uh, appreciate you guys.
3: Yeah. Thanks for the opportunity. This is great.
0: Yeah. I had
1: a great time. Thanks for having me on again for some reason. <laughs>
0: for some reason. It's a mystery moon.
2: There's something about Dave and me guesting on one of his shows that really pulls out the uh, frantic last minute energy of me because I'm always having to scramble and figure out what the hell I'm going to talk about.
0: (laughs) Are you sure it's my show or it's not just like everyday life?
2: I'm not sure. I'm blaming you just to keep the the pressure off of me. I've got (laughs) enough problems.
0: I I understand. I'm with you. All right. So again, thank you all for joining. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Tune in next week for the next game that comes out of the backlog.